0: Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all their people at the table. I'm your host, Dungeon Master Mitch, and today... I will be joined by Derek White, also known, perhaps better known as The Geek Preacher, and we are going to be discussing the idea of intergenerational role-playing, what that is, and some stories, some tips, and some advice on how to make intergenerational role-playing a thing that we can strive for, a goal for us to see happen more at the gaming table as DMs. But before we head to the meet, as always, we have some five-star reviews that we need to read and give some shout-outs to. The first one comes from Wrongful50 and it's entitled Never Trust a One-Eyed Cook. Wrongful50 says, greeting from a humble DM in the thumb. I imagine that you must be in Michigan because that's the only way I can make sense of that thumb. You must be in the thumb of the great mitten of Michigan. If you are looking to DM for the first time or are DMing for the 50th time, this is a great podcast for you. Informative, funny, and full of fantastic ideas, you can't go wrong. If you aren't looking to DM, I say listen to this podcast and you will want to, even if it's just to send a food mage at your party. Keep on rolling those Nat 20s, guys. Thank you so much, Wrongful50. We appreciate that review. Our next one comes from King Rivers, and it's entitled Most Helpful Podcast I've Listened To. This is a really amazing podcast. I'm a new DM, literally two sessions, and this podcast has really helped me get going and create some pretty cool things. So thank you for making this podcast. Thank you for listening, King Rivers. We appreciate both of those five-star reviews. Thank you so much for listening and the support of our show. And without any further ado, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We
1: ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Yeah. Why can't we have some meat Looks like meat. Back
0: on the menu, boys! Well, for the meet today, we have an awesome guest. We have Derek White, also known as, perhaps better known as, the Geek Preacher. And so, Derek, we just want to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thank you for having me. Derek, if you could just, like, start off by just telling us a little bit about who is Derek White. Oh,
1: wow, wow. That's uh, that's a, there's a lot in that. I am a ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. Uh, I've been a minister now for on and off for almost a quarter of a century. I pastor two churches in uh, Tennessee. I have been a gamer. Uh, I've been playing role-playing games since 1983 so been doing that now for about 33 years. Uh, I'm married, have two children and uh, as you said, I'm also known as the Geek Preacher. By that, uh, I'm a geek and a preacher. <laughs> I've been and attend a number of gaming conventions around the country. Uh, the two that I go to the most are Gen Con and Gary Con. I've either assisted or led the worship services at Gen Con. We have an ecumenical worship service the last day of Gen Con every year, and I've spoken at that a number of times. And this year, officially, Luke Gygax, the son of Gary Gygax, announced that I am the official GaryCon chaplain. (laughs) Nice. So now I am the chaplain for GaryCon, which is really great. Uh, I talk about a lot of things about uh, spirituality and geekiness, faith and geekiness. Uh, The church has... Early on, those of us who grew up in the 80s remember the, the dark days when the church was really against games like Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, I try and show that there are people out there who don't agree with that. I try and uh, build bridges between people who have been frustrated by the way faith communities have treated gamers, and I so I kind of uh, am an apologist, so to speak. To gamers. I'm uh, actually apologizing <laughs> in, in that sense uh, for the way the church has been because I am a part of the church and I'm a part of the gaming community. But also, I uh, try and let uh, you know, I also uh, am an apologist for the gaming community, and I'm not apologizing. It's in the classic sense of being an apologist, and I show the church the beauty and the wonder of the gaming community and how there are things that the church can learn from the gaming community there is a sense of community among gamers there's a sense of care friendship compassion that gamers have that sometimes in the church we're missing you know very often the church is just a place you go on sunday just a place that you're there for an hour or two a week and that's it and uh, it should be more of a community of care a community of love and that's something i have consistently experienced in the gaming community all my life is uh, i've i've met gamers who will care and help one another i've seen time and time again how gamers would step up uh i've seen gamers you know who have had uh trouble paying a light bill or a car net and other gamers hey man you know here's 20 bucks mm. here you go uh here let me take you out and get you something to eat gamers just you know, and, and, and here they are, you know, some of them are people of faith, some of them are people of no faith at all, you know, atheists and agnostics, but what become comes natural in our geek gaming communities is we, we take care of one another, and it's not even like something you have to teach, it's just something that just grows out of who we
0: are mm. as gamers. That's awesome, I think it's... Probably refreshing for, especially on the gamer side, for people to to hear you, to meet you as not only somebody who um, is a a Christian, a follower of Christ, but also a preacher, a pastor, someone who is leading a church and you consider yourself a gamer, you embrace geek culture, you love it yourself. I know that we've had a lot of guests on the show, that a lot of guests have the same story that I grew up in a really religious household. My parents hated the fact that I played D&D. They threw out my books, whatever. I didn't get to play until college again when I had my own freedom, or I had to sneak out of my house to be able to play Dungeons and & Dragons and had to tell, them. I know that's DM Chris. That's his story. Like, I had to sneak out of my house. I told my parents that I was going over to my friend's house to play sports, and. (laughs) And that was was when I played Dungeons and Dragons because it just wasn't accepted in uh, his community of the church. And so I think it's probably a a nice breath of fresh air to the gamers out there who are Christians and to those who are not and maybe have been hurt by the church in some manner. And
1: I think that's probably one of the
0: biggest differences between me
1: and my friends who grew up in the church and who had that anti-D&D, anti-role-playing game sentiment is... I didn't actually grow up in a very religious household. You know, uh, my home uh, was, you know, when people ask me how I grew up, I tell them occasional Baptist. And by that, uh, occasionally when we went to church, we went to a Baptist church, which was often, you know, around Easter. And that was pretty much it. We went Easter or, you know, maybe if there was a funeral or something like that. So when the anti-D&D stuff came up, And my mom, uh, we had a neighbor who gave my mom all the anti-D&D pamphlets and the little (laughs) printouts and all of those things so badly typed. One of the things I give my mom a lot of credit for, which was really wonderful, is she took those, you know, because she did consider herself Christian, though we weren't very religious, Mm -hmm. we didn't go to church a lot. Uh, She took those, and I remember coming home from school, and she, she had those pieces of paper out. And all my D&D books were laid out on my bed. And I'm like, oh, my God, what's going on? What's going on? I hope she did not look inside deities and (laughs) dimming and see the half-naked women. You know, uh, that was my biggest fear. You know, it wasn't the books being burned or thrown away or anything like that. And she looked at me and she said, oh, you know, uh, so-and-so gave me all of this anti-D&D stuff. And I went and I looked at your books and it's not there. And I said, wow, you know, a lot of respect for my mom is that, you know, unlike a lot of people who just took it at face value, they took that this is evil, that this was in the books and that was in the books. My mom said, okay, I'm not just going to take somebody's word for this. I'm going to take my son's books. I'm going to look at my son's books. I'm going to read it. I'm going to compare it to this. And she did. And I said, wow, you know, and, uh, just, that is one of my favorite memories of my mom is her willingness to question Hmm. her willingness to say, not take it at face value and her willingness to be convinced, you know, one way or the other. And, and so when I did come to the faith, that's a faith I enjoy is one that is a willingness to question, a willingness to doubt, a willingness to struggle with doubt and questions and, and to be open and honest about it. And so and that's an approach that, you know, gamers have, I think. That's how we approach our games. We're going to question the rules left and right, yes. man. Oh, you yes. know, you know. if you can convince me why this rule <laughs> is the right
0: rule and why it works best, you know. So you've talked a little bit about uh, that story with your D&D books and with your mom. And uh, so you've talked a little bit about uh, when you were younger and you were playing, but how did you first get started? With role-playing games with Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, wow. Well, this is how much of a geek
1: I am. I went to a small southern school in Louisiana. That's where I'm originally from. And I went to a small southern school, uh, very tiny. Before I even attended that school, I I was a big reader of fantasy Mm -hmm. and fiction. You know, comic books. uh, Conan the Barbarian Comics uh, it were in Marvel, uh, and then there was the Savage Sword of Conan uh, comic, the big eight and a half by 11 comic, <laughs> which I read and would pick up. And so I was a big reader of fantasy, fiction, and those things. And I remember probably in the 7th grade, I was walking around school. I was new to this school. I'd just moved back, to, back in with my mom. I'd been living with my dad for a little while, and I moved back in with my mom and so i didn't have a whole lot of friends didn't really know anybody and uh, i looked and i saw these kids during recess with these really cool books with dragons on them and i said these are the cool kids these are the cool kids that's how geeky i was wow these guys must be cool and so i remember uh trying to ask them about it and everything and they just kind of blow me off and push me to the side you know and uh, they were all about a year or two older than me you know and maybe it was because I was younger or whatever and so I was just watching them you know from a distance because they wouldn't let me get up too close and I was like man this is some pretty neat stuff and uh, then we were on a vacation we were on a break and I, I remember it because it was in February and so it was probably February of 1983 because we were on mardi gras break in louisiana uh (laughs) if you're not familiar with louisiana louisiana is the mardi gras state (laughs) and they give you vacation during mardi gras school is out which is pretty awesome so during mardi gras break we went out to texas to visit my stepdad's brother and while we were out there we were walking through a mall and what i know now today to be what was probably a games workshop store uh-huh. i didn't know what it was at the time but it was most likely a games workshop store i was walking by it with my stepsister and i looked in there and i saw all these painted fantasy yep. miniatures and i said oh my goodness i walked into that store and i was just in heaven man it was just beautiful all of this stuff nothing i could afford you know i mean i'm 12 13 almost 13 years old you know or My family didn't have a lot of money, and so I'm looking around and just just agog at all of these things. And uh, as I'm walking around, I come across this book. It was the Tom Moldvay Basic Book. Now, for a lot of people, they first got that in a box set. For some reason, this was not in a box set. It was just the book that was inside the box set in shrink wrap with the three-hole punch in it. And I was looking at it. And I was going, "Oh man, this is really cool." And I think it was four or five dollars. I think probably five dollars. And I went out of that store and I just begged my mom, "Mom, you got to buy this for me. You got to buy this for me." And my mom was like, "No, no, I'm not going to buy it for me. You're not going to buy it for me. Buy it for you. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it." And uh, my step aunt said, "What is it?" and showed it to her, and she uh, she bought it for me. And I just devoured it. I think it was only 66 pages, you know. <laughs> and I just read through that book and loved it. Loved the artwork, you know, uh, Errol Otis' artwork. I mean, all of these names are names I came to know later in life. You know, I didn't know any of this stuff at that time. And I was just like, oh, this is awesome. And so when we got back home from the break, I went up to those guys who were playing and I said, look what I got. Now they were already playing AD&D. We didn't know the difference between basic <laughs> D&D and advanced D&D. And they were already playing AD&D, but they just saw this is another Dungeons and Dragons book. And I think maybe that was the entry point for me. They were like, Oh, he's got a book now. He is one of us. <laughs> this is your one ticket. of us.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was my ticket. That was my golden ticket. Yeah, I love exactly. that. That was my Willy Wonka golden <laughs> ticket. And so and so I began to play with those guys. Uh still remember their names. Uh, I don't know what's happened to many of them over the years, but occasionally I would get to go over to their house and play. That's when I started running games for them. Nice. So the DM, the normal DM, would run the games, and his name was Mike Hill, and Mike would run the games. And so when we all got together, what ended up happening is Mike would be running the game, everybody would kill off my character. Uh, <coughs> I mean, they'd backstab me or whatever so that I could help Mike run the game. <laughs> and, good, good and so I, I was, yeah, great friend. Well, I, sometimes I think they did it for the fun yeah. of it, and sometimes I think uh, Mike had them do it on purpose so that he could have help for somebody to flip through the rule books, help find monsters, and things like that. And then uh, if Mike couldn't run a game, I became uh, the guy to help them level up. Nice. And so I would run games and, you know, I'd just monty throw, haul yeah, it. Just
0: throw monsters at them so they get XP. And <laughs> You'd throw monsters and treasure at them so they get XP and they would level
1: up. And, you know, there was no consistent campaign <laughs> world or anything like that. It was just, you know, uh, one shots all the time. and uh, But but we got to keep the same characters. Gotcha. And so they would keep their characters, you know, and level them up. That's how I got started. I can't remember a whole lot of times in my life, but I remember February of 1983.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. I do remember that. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So we do have one more question for you. As with all our guests, we have a surprise question for you. So you had... No idea. You knew that a surprise question was coming, but you have no idea what this question is. So here is your surprise question. This comes from Blake Ryan. He is a Silver Dragon, which is uh, one of our Patreon members. And so Blake asks, there is a d and movie coming out. You are in charge of choosing who is going to be in that d and movie. That can either be someone famous or someone you know. Who do you invite to be in the d and movie? Oh well, first and foremost,
1: it has to be Nathan Fillion. <laughs> you have a great actor, uh, loves the geek yep. community. I mean that that that's kind of a no-brainer. And probably Nathan Fillion comes to mind because I've been watching Harmon yes. Quest, <laughs> uh, and he was on the last episode of Harmon Quest. But Nathan Fillion has just been beautiful to the geek hmm. community. Uh, he's a great actor. Uh, he has to be in the movie. What will uh, he be in the movie? Oh, Nathan Fillion, a rogue, obviously a rogue. A rogue. That would be perfect yeah, for him. Yeah, thief. Yep. Yeah, a thief. Uh, he would have. He, he would be a thief in the movie. Uh, for a consultant, you need Stephen Colbert. Mm-hmm. That uh, would be great. That, that's. <laughs> and he loves the You know, D&D. you have to have him consulting on the movie. Yep. Uh, for some good humor and in inside jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got Nathan Fillion, probably as your lead, uh, you know, uh, as he's gotten a little bit older, he could be the grizzled old rogue. uh, Stephen Colbert, uh, consulting on the movie, uh, with of course and... a cameo somewhere. Oh yeah, definitely <laughs> a cameo, you know, dress him up as an old yep. wizard or old crotchety wizard. <laughs> and then the non movie type people uh you know uh, throw in a cameo and and of course this is shout out to my boy Luke Gygax uh (laughs) throw in a cameo of Luke and Ernie Gygax and maybe some of Gary's daughters you know throw throw in some of the Gygax family just for the fun
0: of it that would be great yeah they should man they they should definitely do that for the movie itself that would be fantastic to see just cameos like that that'd be great. Yeah, and and yeah. Oh, it'd be it'd be like the Marvel movies where something happens in the comics, and there are only the 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 true fans in the audience go. Oh, you'd have the gamer fans yeah. go, oh, and everyone would be like, "What? What's so great about that?" And you'd have to yeah. have this great time explaining it to them afterwards. So yeah, it's like
1: the first Stan Lee appearance yep, in a Marvel exactly. movie, and
0: all the non-geeks
1: were like, "Why is everybody? Yep. you know what? Who's who's that old guy? And by now, they like, they That's all Stan know. Lee? Yep. Who's Stan Lee? Shut up and get out of here! Now the door is there. If you don't know who Stan is
0: you do not need to be sitting in this movie leave <laughs> leave oh uh, yes. that's great so uh going right off of that right off of that sentence leave leave get out of here let's talk about intergenerational role playing and being welcoming to all ages <laughs> so uh first off uh in- that, that's perfect yeah. segue in- that, that's great man that was a beautiful segue
1: <laughs> get off my lawn oh, my
0: goodness. so yes intergenerational role playing this is something uh when i asked you what you would love to come on the show and talk about this is something you're really passionate about so perhaps yeah. some of our listeners uh don't know exactly that word intergenerational so what is intergenerational role playing what does that even mean Uh, intergenerational is uh,
1: one of those nice words we like to use in the church because we like to have nice fun words Uh, that's (laughs) that's the thing we do that's our geekiness in the church is uh, we, we use big words but intergenerational role intergenerational gaming intergenerational life is just means that everybody of all ages should be at the table not just welcomed at the table but everybody of all ages should be at the table the idea behind it is that we enjoy things so much more when we have different people playing together. If you've ever gamed with people of different races, different genders, different ethnicities, different religions, that brings a richness to a uh, role-playing game in and of itself. Uh, But when you game with people of different races, genders, ethnicities, and ages, oh my goodness, it's just hilariously beautiful on the positive side, and it can get horribly (laughs) uh, cruel on the other side. But, I mean, it, it can be, when done well, when everybody of all ages is at the table when it's done well it's just a load of fun yeah
0: now when we were off air just kind of chatting a little bit you shared a little bit about how you've seen intergenerational role playing change over the years of Dungeons and Dragons being uh, around starting out as something new uh, and now Dungeons and Dragons has been around for a couple uh, decades and just all different other kinds of role playing games how have you you seen this change in the gaming community
1: well uh, i'll start at the beginning because I, I know a lot of the history of dungeons and dragons and the beginning of role-playing games for the the guys who created it gary gygax and dave arneson one of the things that i found out is a lot of people a lot of younger gamers especially in their 20s and in their teens even if they know who gary gygax and dave arneson are they don't realize how old they were when they started the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've had young gamers tell me, oh, I thought they were college students (laughs) who created this game. And uh, Gary was a grown man with kids when he created Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, uh, Gary had already had a number of children. He'd already worked in a variety of uh, fields. And so uh, when he created Dungeons & Dragons... This was a game he was playing with his wargaming buddies who were also grown men with families. But he also started playing it with his children and a lot of the young kids in the community. So at its very beginning, Dungeons & Dragons was intergenerational. Now for those of of my generation who came along about a decade after the game had been out, the game was already being marketed toward kids. That's what basic D&D came out for. It was supposed to be the Dungeons and Dragons for the 10 to 12-year-olds. And advanced was kind of like for high school to college. So, basic Dungeons and Dragons was just to kind of get the younger kids in. And so for us, we saw it marketed for us and there were from a lot of us there were no adults really playing D&D. Hmm. Uh, there weren't a it, any. Uh, I I don't know if you've seen Stranger Things oh my gosh, on so Netflix. Good. So great, <laughs> love it. And uh, their a uh, teacher in that show knows all about Dungeons yep. and Dragons. That wasn't my experience. <laughs> the teachers just kind of looked at us a little odd, but they knew we were all nerdy and we we did good in school, so they didn't bug us a whole lot about it. <laughs> but there were no adults. That I saw playing Dungeons and Dragons. The first adult I ever saw play Dungeons and Dragons was myself when I was an adult. And so when I started uh, gaming again in my mid twenties, you know, I left gaming for behind for a little while, uh, which is a story in and of itself. I won't go into. Uh, <laughs> but when uh, I began gaming again as an adult, I was in my mid twenties, and I started gaming and playing and then I I, and then my daughter was born and so one of uh, my earliest memories with my daughter uh, she's maybe six months old and she's sitting by me at the table in her high chair while I'm running a D&D game for a bunch of friends and so I'm sitting there Uh, some of the people are my age and some of them are teenagers at that time I was working at uh, at an electronics store. And we had, you know, people of all ages come in buying electronics, video games, computer games, uh, computer software. And so I made friends with my customers. Uh, some of them were my age. Some of them were in high school. And so my first experience of intergenerational role-playing was in my home, my six-month-old daughter sitting there, high school student sitting there. Uh, A guy my age uh, sitting there and a guy, uh, you know, who was in that college age guy. So so we had a bunch of different things, a bunch of different ages there. Six months in age to 30 years old. Hmm. So that's kind of the whole concept of intergenerational gaming. And that's kind of the, the development of it in my life because, you know, we didn't see any real adults playing the game but when you talk to people like Ernie Gygax or Luke Gygax you know they were kids when their dad was developing this game and so they were around grown men playing war games and they were around and these grown men were around the kids So that actually was at the heart of the game when it first started. But for many of us in our generation, we didn't experience that until we started having kids of our own.
0: So this whole idea of intergenerational role-playing, I know you have run games, you've played in games that both, like you just said, at the home but you've also run a lot of games with different ages at conventions at yeah. gaming stores you've seen a lot of this you've been in charge of running a lot of games like this in your opinion what is the importance behind this trying to strive for this both on an individual level and as a level of us as a community of gamers what's the importance of striving for intergenerational role playing the answer i'm going to give you actually comes from
1: Frank Mentzer Frank is a good friend of mine. A lot of people know Frank Mincer. He's the guy who wrote the rules Mm -hmm. for uh, the uh, basic set with the Elmore cover. I asked Frank about this a number of years ago. Frank boiled it down to this. It creates conversation. Mm. We learn from each other. When we've been gaming for a long time, and those of us who have been gaming for 30 years, a lot of times we will fall into tired, old, repeated patterns check the locks, you know, uh, listen at the door, (laughs) grab your 10-foot pole, things like that. You know, we get these tired, repeated patterns. And so for us, when a young gamer comes to the table, they bring fresh ideas. They will do something that we would have never thought of. They will do things not covered by the rules. Sometimes they'll bring stuff to the game from video game culture that's good and bad. But they will uh, bring things to the table that we did not expect it creates for a fun game. We learn from them. They also learn from us because some of those old strategies, like the 10-foot pole, yep. <laughs> is a classic strategy. And you need a 10-foot pole. you know. And uh, they need to learn some of those basic strategies, uh, whether it's a role-playing game, it also teaches uh, you know we know this you know uh, to say that gamers are unsocial is one of the biggest myths our culture has said <laughs> yep. and it teaches kids great socialization skills it, it's wonderful for those of us who are parents it helps our kids socialize with other people it helps uh, it helps them learn conflict resolution you know sometimes you got to work things out because just killing somebody else doesn't always work in the game you know uh you, if you're arguing over who gets the the really good uh magic sword you got to work that out because if you don't work it out right you know uh you're when you come across the next monster you may get your butt handed to you on a platter <laughs> if the right person's not using the sword and so you've got to deal with the conflict resolution you've got to learn to cooperate so it's a great skill for the kids and a great reminder to the adults because you know I've been around some grown folks playing some D&D and they don't cooperate really well and they argue horribly and their conflict resolution skills are, are horrible they begin to learn from kids watching the kids i'll give you a great example of this I uh, was running a game at GaryCon a couple of years ago, and before GaryCon, I wanted to run it for my friends. All my friends were adults, but I wanted to kind of play test the game, the adventure, before I ran it for the kids. And so all all the people I ran it for were in their 20s and 30s, and their response was to kill everything. (laughs) Uh, The adult's response was, we're just going to kill it all. And they, they, and they got their butts handed to them. You know, they missed out talking to the right person. You know, I, I had the old caveat in there. Just talk to this guy. He's going to give you the nice little magic item that will <laughs> help you a little further down the road. They didn't talk to the guy. They tried to kill him. And so they missed out on that, and they got their butts handed to them. I ran the same game at GaryCon. And these kids were, uh, I mean, uh, the youngest was eight or nine the oldest was maybe 14 and they meet this same same NPC. I'm um, doing it the same way and they said, we want to talk to him. And I was like, what? <laughs> you got to talk to him? They like, Yeah, can we? They said, can we talk to him? Yes, you can. Yes! Yes, you can talk to him. And I'm over here thinking, you know, I wish one or two of those guys that were in their 20s were here right now. Yeah. Because you could learn something from these kids because these kids had probably been told by their teachers and told by their parents, talk it out. Don't just slap somebody upside the head, talk it out. And sometimes as adults, we forget that. We forget the lessons we're trying to communicate to our children. This is why our children can teach us. And this is one of the things, uh, you know, as I mentor people and as I teach people now as I've gotten older, uh, one of the things I tell people is that uh, it's bi-directional. It, you know, for too long, especially in the church, we have told people that the authority stands up there and gives you all the information and they are an authority on everything and communication and learning comes in one direction. And that's not true. True communication is bidirectional; It flows both ways. And we can learn from the kids, and the kids can learn from us. And uh, when
0: we do that, the world becomes a better place, I think. I think we create a better world for all of us. So we're not going to spend a lot of time in this episode talking about potential problems with intergenerational role-playing. I think uh, a lot of our listeners, I'm sure we can all think of problems that would come up, Whether, and I think that the biggest problem... That comes to my mind is just some people may not be willing to take that seat next to someone younger or someone older, or whether in their mind it's just I don't want to play with this young kid, they're just going to be too distracting, or uh, I don't want to play with this quote unquote old geezer, they're not going to be focused. Whatever it is, like there are problems, I feel like, but those problems are more walls that stop us from getting into those games than anything else. Can you talk a little bit about just some strategies? This is a this is a podcast for Dungeon Masters for game Masters. So you've run plenty of games at home in the con, in game stores like uh, like we've said, for groups of gamers of all ages. What are some things that you found have helped uh, to make those games great? for all different ages? The number one thing that makes a game
1: great for all ages, whether it's intergenerational or whether everybody's the same age, the number one thing is pacing. The number one thing in your game has to be pacing. We all have the people who like puzzles, hopefully, but we also have people who like the combat, killing monsters and taking their loot. And you have to to handle your pacing properly. Uh, If combat is dragging out and going too long and you see that you are losing people's attention you need to think of ways to speed it up. If that means you know bending some rules taking 20 points off the hit points of the monsters having the monsters run away whatever you do you know look at the pacing if people are just not getting the puzzle or the clues for the puzzle you have to drop some more clues help them up or sometimes just take a break and narrate it for them and you know use some storytelling skills there to keep your pacing flowing because when the pacing bogs down you lose the attention of kids, especially younger kids do not have as long an attention span, just age wise. That's part of it. Culturally, that's part of it. You have to keep your pacing flowing. (laughs) And sometimes that means, you know, bending the rules. Sometimes that means changing part of your story on the fly, being flexible. Sometimes that means uh, finding a shortcut to uh, the end of the adventure. If it's a one shot adventure, if it's a campaign, If your pacing has slowed down, take a break. If your pacing has bogged down, back when I was still smoking, I uh, took a smoke break. I said, hey, let's take a smoke break. And we would take a smoke break, you know, get everybody some snacks and stuff like that so you could come back and refocus. That is the number one way I have seen to help a game flow better for people of all ages. The next thing is to make sure everybody has a part and this is especially important for the dungeon master you have to one if you're running a game with uh, some older people and some kids you need to talk to the older people beforehand not with the kids around you need to talk to the older people beforehand and tell them look we're gonna give these kids an opportunity to shine in the game they need their moment to stand out they don't need you bulldozing over them, and so let's give them their moments. And when we give them their moments, you get your moments as well, and you get to have your fun. But you've got to give the kids their moments, and then as a dungeon master, you know you've got to you've got to know when to rein the kids in, and how to change their focus. Some too. I mean, it's just like a normal game but sometimes uh, i think one of the biggest things you have to do and this helps you avoid some of the problems with the adults and the kids is you have to get the adults on the same page with you Mm -hmm. depending on the age of the kids it varies it's usually a lot easier when the adults you're playing with are related or connected to the kids you're playing with they're usually a little bit easier about it they're more willing to help but you've also got to make make the adults know that these kids need to be able to fail in their game on their own. Don't always save them. They need to make their own bad choices because <laughs> that's part of the fun of role-playing games is, is living through our bad choices uh-huh. and our bad decisions. So, like, if you're running a game, and I, I've seen this happen, I've seen games fall apart because uh, mom or dad didn't want a junior to feel bad because his character died. Hmm. And they they went out of their way, and they screwed over the rest of the party just to keep their kid's character alive. I've seen that in role-playing games. I've seen that in other tabletop games like Munchkin. I've seen horror stories of Munchkin about how somebody was just messing over everybody else at the table <laughs> just so the kid could win the game. That's not good. <laughs> Your kids need to learn to lose. Yep. It, it's important that they learn to lose. When I play with my son, you know, there are times I will let him win so he can have the joy of winning. But there are times that I make sure I win because he needs to know that it's okay to lose. Yep. And so you have to, you know, talk to mom and dad. You know, if, if it's not your kid that's playing in the game, it's their kid, you say, hey, mom and dad, you know, now they need to learn to lose. That's part of the game, you know. They need to know they might have to roll up a new character. That's part of what gaming is about, you know. There is, and that's one of the things I love about role-playing games. There is no save and uh, reload, you know. You got to keep going, and you know, once you die, your your character may stay dead, and you just got to start over, mm-hmm. and that's that. And that's the way life is. That that's one of the great lessons I took from role-playing games is well, crap, my character's dead. I've just got to start over. And I've started over many times in my life. I've had to reboot my life a number of times because I've made bad financial decisions and I uh, made bad choices. uh, And I had to say, okay, I have to start over. I got to get a fresh start. And I changed careers. I changed jobs. And I restarted and rebooted. And it was hard. But I'm going to tell you, one of the things that taught me that was playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends growing up was that, yeah, it's hard, but there's also a lot of fun in that too. Starting over at first level and working your way back up to seventh or eighth level, it, it, there could be a lot of joy in that. I, I will say one of the things that I found, and this is a very practical tip, one of the things I've found, and, and we are very fortunate to live in the world we live in today because accessories are so inexpensive accessories are really great for, you know, we we love our minis and our things (laughs) like that. Those of us who are older because we love it because many of us couldn't afford it when we were kids. And now we can afford it. But those accessories for the kids, they also help spark imagination. Having some good minis there for the kids, having something visual for the kids, having something they can manipulate and touch is really really helpful Hmm. add in things that we sometimes leave out of our games you know uh, I use some dwarven forge projects products but also you know uh, let the kids learn a little bit about mapping and things like that and that's not just the educator in me wanting them to learn just good skills but it but it gives them something to do it lets them see something different that they're not used to so give them something they can manipulate something they can touch such something they can see that's really important,
0: yeah, I've seen that, and I've seen that work on adults plenty as well mm-hmm. having you you brought up like puzzles and things like that my co-host Chris loves to make puzzles that we can actually touch and move around the table and things like that rather than just riddles, which that's my that's my thing I love riddles, so I always go <laughs> yeah. to riddles, but like i've even remember this one time i i made this letter from an npc that was uh, his like last will and testament before he died and i did the whole took tea bags made it look old burned <laughs> the edges kind of thing rolled it up and as this npc was dying i just handed this letter rather than say he hands you a letter and this is what it says but i handed it to the npc or the to the that pc that was there awesome. with him a PC that had, like, fallen. Well, actually, this PC wasn't even that close to him, but we had another person at the table who had a PC that was super close to him, and we had this player just read the letter out loud, and literally tears started welling up in the player who his character wasn't even there. Just from this, they did not expect a letter to be passed. And things like that are amazing and... I think whether it's young people or old people uh, as well, or middle aged or whatever it is, it's nice even to say, "I don't need this letter." By the way, if you guys want to take it home, it's something to remember a game by. Something to keep. That's cool. Keep uh, you remembering. Oh, that was so cool that the dungeon master had that, and it brings camaraderie in the, around the table. That's an awesome, awesome idea.
1: Yeah, you know that I love that, and you reminded me of a story like like you know uh, gamers do. I did something similar when I was running a Call of Cthulhu game. I had a book that I bought. It was a uh, blank, you know, what do you call it, a journal. Mm -hmm. But it was one of those journals that was hardback. And I would write stuff in it before each session for the players. And so it was a blank page book that they got in the game. And before each session, it would have drawings in it. It would have words and phrases pop up in it each session huh. would have something new added That's to the awesome. book and then i freaked them out when uh, I, I i gave them the book and it had a page. it some of the pages had disappeared <laughs> <laughs> and they're like wait, wait wait where's this i don't know what are you talking about i don't remember that uh, what page what what what? Uh, what? I hope what you, you
0: remember it, because I yes, certainly, I as the dungeon you're... master, do not remember that page. <laughs> and that was before all the cell phones had cameras on it. <laughs>
1: so it was like nobody had pictures of it or anything like That's that. That's fantastic. Just, yeah. It, it, it. What I had done is is the pages were still there. It, I had flipped the book uh, and I uh, just had had copied everything onto the other side of the book. <laughs> and uh, so I just flipped the book over for them, and they didn't realize that. That's awesome. And it, so it was the same book, so I, I didn't even have to cut the pages out. Uh, so I, I thought I'd cut the pages out, but that's right. I've still got that book around somewhere.
0: That's awesome. And, uh, so,
1: yeah, doing fun <laughs> stuff like that. And, and and the people in that game were, you know, I had 20-somethings, and I had uh, teenagers in that game. And,
0: uh, and I, you know, I had married couple in the game and I had high school kids in the game. <laughs> and I bet you it was like a great thing to watch all these people from different points of life, different ages, just like Marvel over this little thing that really is, is simple, but just brought the game to life to them and to watch them interact with each other must've oh, been yeah. really great. It, it was, it, it was,
1: and it, it to see them, and, and here's another one of the beauties of intergenerational role-playing, because I've been doing it for so long, many of these kids are grown now, you know, they're married now, they have their own families, yeah. and you know, I'm going to tell you, man, as a preacher, I have people remember more about some of these games, and these <laughs> kids will come to me. And that are grown now with their own families and they come to me and they remember more from some of these games than any sermon <laughs> I've ever preached. And I take that as a compliment uh, because they remember more from the games. They remember more from that. They remember more from the time I spent with them at the table, just being their friend than they remember yeah. from me being behind a pulpit preaching to them. It's all about relationships. That, that's it, man. And, and that's the key to intergenerational. It's building relationships. Because, you know, and, and here's the thing for me. I, I intentionally try and make friends in every decade, if at all possible, of life. Whether they're under 10, in their teens, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. However, because my my theory is, is that when I'm in my 70s, Hopefully, I'll have friends in every decade younger than me because, you know, as we get older, our bodies wear out. Our eyes wear out. You know, uh, getting around becomes more difficult. And the more friends we have of all generations, the better we can enjoy life. You know, just like the uh, 10-year-old kid needs someone to take them to the game, sometimes the 75-year-old gamer needs someone to take them to Hmm. the game yeah and so you know life comes full circle and why should that 75 year old gamer stop gaming just because they can't get to the game just like the 10 year old needs someone to take them to the game so does the 75 year old and if they can game together i'm going to tell you you know as a pastor you know i go to retirement homes and things like that at times And people like to see me come into the retirement home because, you know, I'm the pastor. They love to get the visit from a pastor. But what gets the biggest smiles in that retirement home is not when I walk through the door, but if my kids come with me Hmm. because they want to see the kids. And it's the same way we should be at our game tables. It's going to make... Things are going to get crazy, things are going to get disruptive, things are going to get frustrating, but that's part of the beauty and the fun of life is to let kids come in and disrupt, you know, our old way of doing things
0: and, and make more fun. That's awesome. Hey, Derek, I just want to thank you for coming on the show today, for joining us to talk about intergenerational role-playing. Thank you. This has been a pleasure. If our listeners would like to get in touch with you, if they would like to check out some of the stuff that you're doing, uh, what is the best way for them to do that? The best way is, uh, hopefully you're on Facebook,
1: the best way. you know, I used to blog and I used to do stuff on my website, but most people connect with me through Facebook. I have a... uh, a personality page i put together a few years ago when someone asked me to called the geek preacher just look for the geek preacher on facebook i also have a personal page uh the personal page you know isn't always for everybody because there's a lot more religious posting on my personal page that's usually how i connect with my parishioners and my churches but you know i i generally accept friend requests from other gamers as long as we have mutual connections so if you look for derek white on facebook you can find my personal page as long as we have common friends uh i will probably accept your friend i i most likely accept your friend co- requests. but if you want to find out about the geeky stuff i'm doing look for my personality page called the geek preacher you can also find me on twitter at geek preacher uh, i still have a website called geek You can find me that way. You also, uh, you know, if you're at Gen Con or Gary Con, you can find me there. You know, uh, those are the two major conventions I go to. There are other conventions I end up going to as well, like Origins and places like that. But the the easiest way to get in touch with me is through through Facebook
0: or through Twitter. Awesome. So once again... Thank you, Derek, for being on. Uh, It was good to have the Geek Preacher on an episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, and we will hopefully have you on again sometime soon in the future. Well, thank you, Mitch. I hope you do, man, and uh, (laughs) hopefully you guys can make it to uh, some of the conventions. That would Uh, be awesome. Well, that's all we have to you today for this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can give us an email at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. If you love the show and you love what we do, please consider giving us a five-star iTunes review. And if you do, we will read it on the air just like we did at the beginning of this episode. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can also like our Facebook page. Both of those places will have D&D memes, some D&D tips, and, of course, updates about the show. We have a Patreon member shout-out of the week. And this week's Patreon member shout out goes to F. Mustafa. F. Mustafa is a dreaded silver dragon, so F. Mustafa is able to be on our forums and give us input on the future of our show. Thank you so much for your support, F. Mustafa. We really appreciate it. The Dungeon Master's Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. To check out more Block Party Podcast Network shows, simply search Block Party Podcast Network on iTunes or go to BlockPartyPodcastNetwork.com. And that's it for this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game the only person capable of playing god, killing characters and lowering egos of all other people at the table keep on dungeon mastering
1: I think that's great, and I think you just sent me a friend request on Facebook. I
0: did. You are yes, right.
1: Team Mystic.
0: Yes. <laughs> All yes. right.
1: That's what nice. I'm saying, man. Team Mystic. That's right, a- man. A fellow
0: Mystic.